You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Emiyasi Coronaldi, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Shanae Gibbs. This is Chanel Gibbs, also known as the Gibbs Sisters. And we're on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Idris Elba, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Favorites, this is Lisa Simpson, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Pay attention. for tuning in to episode 154 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This is a special holiday edition of the episode and myself, Janita Davis and Sazine Kohler all sit down to talk about our favorite holiday film of the year, the 1988 film Scrooged. If you go to blackgirlnerds.com, you can find an incredibly well-written essay by Sazine about the movie Scrooged, which celebrates its 30th anniversary this year. We talk about all of the things that we've loved about this film and some interesting ideas about fan casting if Hollywood ever decides to create a reboot or a sequel of the film. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with your favorite cup of eggnog or apple cider or some gingerbread cookies nearby you. It's all about Scrooged. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I'm really excited to be sitting here and chatting about a holiday film that's a classic holiday film that I've just loved over the years, but I know we're going to have some really interesting discussions surrounding the movie Scrooged. And I am here with Janita Davis, managing editor of Black Girl Nerds, and Sabine Kohler, one of our horror writers and one of the best writers we have on the site. I just, I'm just going to say that because I love her work. Um, so really thrilled to take this opportunity to talk about the movie Scrooge. Uh, so we'll we'll get and dive into that. So thank you, ladies, for for being on the podcast. Oh, thank hey. you for having me. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So Scrooge. I I need to do a little bit of my homework here. Maybe some of you guys know this already. But what year did the the film come out? Eighty-eight. Yeah. Oh gosh, I said nineties. Okay. Well. Yep. Yeah. It's, um, a, it's the 30-year anniversary this year. So, Do you remember when you first saw the movie Scrooge? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we were... Okay, let me see. Where were we living? Um, in 88, 
we were in Pakistan and um, we had to get videos. We would get these like bootleg videos because in Asia at that time, like, you, you know, there were no movie theaters and in, in Pakistan in particular, there were, there's no movie theater. And so we would get these bootleg versions that were pirated. So the first time I saw Scrooge, it was um, literally like a handheld camera <laughs> on the screen. And it was um, uh, on a VHS tape with a photocopy of the cover, a photocopy of a photograph of the cover um, of the movie poster. So it was just like <laughs> super, um, you know, just like really old school, third culture kid um, kind of thing from like back in, and what would have been 1989, I would have seen it like a year later. So <laughs> that's, that's how I saw Scrooge. <laughs> that is a real bootleg right there. Oh my goodness. Yeah, the original bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I actually didn't see it until I was older um, okay. because I was, I grew up kind of in a religious household. And by that time, my mom was really in, in the church and didn't really let us watch anything that, you know, was too worldly, I guess is what you, what you put it. And so this would fall under that um, umbrella, which is really weird. I mean, it's really weird because I, I mean, she's really into horror movies. So I know all the horror movies of the 80s, but we were not. You, I didn't get the popular movies really until um, I was older. So I was a teenager um, when I first saw this movie and in, in high school um, around Christmas time. And I, it was at a friend's house that I actually saw it. So. Oh, yeah. cool. For me. Um, yeah. I saw it. it. It must've been probably a year or two years after it first was released because I saw it on HBO and I'll never forget, remember the old intros to whenever there's a feature presentation on HBO where it shows the suburban neighborhood with the street lights and then you, the camera zooms in to the neighborhood and then you see the big HBO logo with the theme music? Well, I remember that. Um, I, that's when I saw uh, Scrooge for the first time. It was my brother and I and... Uh, we watched a lot of movies on HBO during that time. My mom didn't care, uh, <laughs> even though we were probably not at the appropriate age to be watching cable television. But um, yeah, I, I just remember seeing Scrooge and I, I fell in love with the film. So yeah, I was probably about, I want to say nine or 10 years old when I first saw it, because it was about a couple years after it came out. Wow. Oh, cool. wow. Cool. We all came at it from such different places. That's a uh, wow. That's wild. <laughs> it, is, it is. So that's why it's going to be interesting to go into um, what we all think, th uh, think of the movie, um, seeing it so many years later. Do we want to go there ne next or <laughs> were you oh, sure, yeah, sure, sure, for that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we could, we, okay. let's, let's do that. Um, so for me, like I kind of like had a, a bit of a Scrooge moment myself a few years back. Like we had a kind of family tragedy around Christmas. And so ever since then, I've really not been able to kind of get into the spirit of the holiday much anymore. But Scrooge is of course, like one of the ones that I still watch mainly because I just really identify with him now, which is such a terrible thing to say. Like he's so awful. He's such a, he's such a misanthrope. And, um, and I, I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, wow, Frank Cross like really has a point with like, and what I really appreciate most about him, though, is that he's just like an equal opportunity hater. Like, yeah. he hates everyone who has less power than him. He just treats them equally like dirt. And, <laughs> the, you know, like the three people who have more power than him, he's like so nice to them. But like, really, everyone. And I think 
if his character wasn't like that, this movie would be so much more problematic. But because he <laughs> really, like, he's so consistent. Like, there's, there's just no, there's no gray area with him, you know? Like, that's, that, that's just how he is. And I find that so wonderful, actually. And I really, like, I really enjoy watching him yell at people. And I don't know what that's, <laughs> what's that saying about me now. But, like, I just, I wish, oh, man, he says so many things that I wish I could say to people. And it's, like, I don't know, it's like experiencing it by proxy. It's, I, I find it really, like, somehow empowering in a very odd way, like a really bizarre way. <laughs> I mean, the, he was a likable character, you know? He's supposed to be, like you said, this misanthrope, this curmudgeon, and yet I really liked Frank Cross. Yeah. So I, I think probably the reason why the film resonated with me so much is because he was also funny while being this really mean-spirited person. And I even had to kind of question my own ethics and morals because my favorite scene, and I still laugh, I think I've seen this movie at least a hundred times and I'm not exaggerating when I say that, but my favorite scene in the film is when he talks to one of the homeless guys at the the homeless shelter. Um, And then um, he sees them, he sees them in this sewer uh, underneath the the city and it's cold and, and as it turns out spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film yet um, the homeless guy he he freezes to death um, he has the watch in his hand he's frozen rock solid and then Frank Cross says I should have given you the two bucks huh and I don't know what it is about that part but I always laugh and I guess it was a moment where Frank was you know, trying to get over this really tragic moment of this man, like he's he's dead, but he's still trying to be funny. And that's the way Frank, I guess, kind of deals with everyday life is using his his sense of humor to to get through the bad things as well as the good things in life. But but yeah, I, I always laugh at this scene and that's such a terrible thing to say, but yeah. <laughs> no, and what's, and what's funny that you mentioned that scene because I actually... Um, I, when I was watching it again, knowing that we were going to have this chat, I, I actually cried during that scene. And it's the first mm-hmm. time I've ever cried watching Scrooge. And that scene, for some reason, and the fact that it's under Trump Tower, like right. somehow, yeah, like it's somehow like that really just like, it was like, that just went right into my heart. Like just, oof, it just really hit me. Um, and that's just weird too, because like I've, ne- I've seen, again, I've seen this movie like you like a hundred times at least, you know? Mm-hmm. And for so, and never cried, like really, never, never cried at it. And then all of a sudden, this time I did. So during that scene, and and so it's just, I got that's funny. Yeah, weird. I, you know, I always, I always tear up at the same part at the end uh, with the little boy when he speaks for the first time and says, "God bless us, everyone." Yeah, I, yeah. yeah that's so tears oh. every single time. Like I know this kid oh. is gonna say this. I know he's gonna <laughs> speak, but yeah. I know, and when they and when they're singing the song at the end, it's like, oh, that's yeah. so, gosh, it's such a good movie. It's so good, it's really good, and really, I just I was so struck by how how well it's aged, and yeah. I, th- I think part of that is because Frank's character is so, like, he's really not that nuanced, and so because his character is so like, just he is who he is, I think that really is what has kept the movie kind of alive all these years and the cool thing I was noticing when I was watching it in HD is like even the the special effects and everything that they did all the practical effects they have aged so well like normally you know when you watch something in HD um especially an old movie a lot of times I find that there's just you can start to see kind of the wires you can see 
you know, you can see the seams, you can see what's happening behind the scenes that like you weren't supposed to see, you know, and in HD, it's so clear. But this one was like, man, and some of those scenes are scary. Like I had forgotten yeah. about the, um, you know, it's only been a year, but like since I saw it last time, but you know, the, the um, ghost from Christmas future when he opens his coat and it's like, oh yeah, hell yeah. under there. It's like, oh, what? It's yeah. like, that's a horror movie. Like that is right. a horror. It's a Christmas horror movie. It's going on my list. Um, because like, man, like some of the stuff. And the other thing was like when the, when the guy, the, what was his name? The, the first ghost that showed up, but not the ghost of, of, um, um, past, present, future, the, the, his old boss, I can't remember his name, Lou or something like that, Hayward. Um, when he shows up and he's saying, you're going to be visited by the ghosts. Like that dude has yeah. a rat living in his head. Like, yeah. He's got oh, a- yeah, William Forsythe's character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has a rat living in his skull and it pokes his head out and it goes back inside. Oh my God. Like we watched that as kids. He was like, um, you know, I was desired. I had money. I had women. And he's like, and then Frank's like, oh, you paid for women. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. The writing is so good. It's so good. good Really? It's yeah. Oh, so good. The Black Girl Nerds podcast will be right back in just a moment. In her memoir, a work of deep reflection and mesmerizing storytelling, Michelle Obama invites readers into her world, chronicling the experiences that shaped her from her childhood of the South Side of Chicago to her years as an executive balancing the demands of motherhood and work to her time spent at the world's most famous address. Becoming is the deeply personal reckoning of a woman of soul and substance who has steadily defied expectations and whose story inspires us to do the same. Go to becomingmichelleobama.com. That's becomingmichelleobama.com to get her latest memoir. And on social media, check out the hashtag I am becoming. That's becomingmichelleobama.com. Available online and in bookstores everywhere. I I have to say that I'm like really surprised that, um, did you like it so much, Sazine? (laughs) Because it's, um, because of the the everything, the themes and everything, you're, I mean, you got, you're right, it holds up super super well but i i was watching it looking at just kind of going you know oh my gosh you can't do that you can't say that and you know um in some in some of the ways but i think um i like i said I, I, i'm really surprised that you you still enjoy it after all these years why do you think it holds up i mean so well um, when it comes to the social issues and things you this is for yeah uh, you and jamie both why do you think with all the issues that it, it has and all the, and the way he treats Alfred Woodard and, you know, um, you got all this classist issues. Why do you think that all holds up uh, still? Well, I we, think it's, just, still it's, it. it's exactly because it's, it's still the reality now. And I mean, the, the gun violence in the show, the, mm-hmm. just the income dis- disparities, the lack of, you know, diversity and representation, like all of those things, those things are all still issues that we're dealing with now. And, um, and honestly, you know, I still love the movie, but I had a hard time. I, I wanted to watch it again. And I had a really hard time with the kind of hostage scene at the end with when um, Loudermilk comes in and he, you know, with a shotgun and he's just like shooting up the office. And 
then he takes people hostage and like, whoa, like that was super, you know, as a gun crime survivor, that the first time when I rewatched it, I was like, okay with it. But then when I tried watching it again and I got to that scene, I was like, you know what? I can't, I can't go back in there again. Like it was, that was a little bit too much. And, um, and I remember that being something in past years when I've watched it at Christmas, I think there were a few times like after the incident happened um, to me where I would have to stop the movie. I couldn't watch the end just because as soon as he comes in with that gun, I would just be so like, you know, PTSD, like provoked really, really badly that I couldn't even watch to the end. Or I would fast forward it just so I could hear the end of the, you know, the song at the, at the end. But um, so I think those are all issues that are just, they've only gotten more relevant over the years. Whereas like other thing, other movies that were set in the eighties were maybe more like specific to things that were happening that year or, you know, around that time. Whereas this one, I feel like a lot of the themes in it are just like, it's just life in America themes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and I think, and I think between that and, and Bill Murray's performance and the writing of his character, I think those are the two things that really, that have kept this movie really just makes it so good. Even now, 30 years later, I think in 30 years, if there's still, you know, internet and electricity in 30 years, like, <laughs> you know, I think this movie will probably still be relevant then because the, the social issues are, they don't look like they're improving and it's been 30 years and wow, like how, how little has changed really, you know? Right. What about you, Jamie? What do you think? I I completely agree with all your sentiments. Um, I think, you know, the backdrop of this film, it's, it takes place in New York city. And Mm -hmm. even though Harlem today is very gentrified, it's still, um, you know, predominantly black. So the Alfred Woodard's family lives uptown in Harlem. Like you actually hear the ghost of Christmas present say, let's go to Harlem. Mm -hmm. That's where they live. And then when he visits his brother and their family, they live downtown, you know, that's where sort of the more wealthy area of New York is. So the film shows those kind of disparities and differences and that still resonates today. But additionally, I think, too, Frank Cross, there's a little bit of Frank Cross in all of us, whether we choose to believe that or not. Like, we have moments in our lives where we are, you know, bitter towards other people or have those moments of being selfish and greedy and wanting to give a bath towel for a present instead of a VCR. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I think a lot of people can identify with that. and, And that's something that will never go away because that's just a part of the human condition. So mm-hmm. that that is always going to remain constant and I don't think that'll that'll ever age but yeah the the film for me you know just kind of speaking on how I connected with the film I just I know that there are parts of my personality and, and parts of my quality and quirks about me that is very much like Frank Cross, mm-hmm. but also I'm willing to own those things when it's, you know, thrown in my face, Jamie, you need to be a little bit less selfish here, or you need to be a little bit more, um, you know, be a better listener or whatever it is. But whenever I'm criticized on those things, I'm willing to go ahead and say, you know what, Maybe um, I need to change that about myself and, you know, whether that's in the form of three ghosts or whether that's in the form of friends and family, we kind of all have those moments where we have to have a come to Jesus moment and uh, have people tell us like it is. And uh, hopefully we learn from that and then do redeem ourselves like Frank does at the end. But sometimes, yeah, we, 
you know, have to get punched in the face to get your attention as the ghost of Christmas present said. Oh my gosh. Oh, she's my Patronus. I, oh, I laughed so hard every time too. It's like, I I know all of her words. I know. I mean, I could recite the whole movie without it even being on. Me too. And yet I'm sitting there saying the words and like just cackling to myself. And my husband is like looking at me like, Sazine, like you have seen this, we have watched this movie together in our marriage probably 50 times. Like, like and you're like, what's happening here? But it's just, oh, there's something about the way that she did that. That is so like, it's so fairy. Like fairies are mean. Like fairies are, we, Disney gave us the <laughs> idea that fairies are, you know, these cute little things and they run around helping you. No, they're not. They have teeth, they bite, they punch, they kick, they steal children and eat them. Like, fairies are terrible i mean they're awesome and they're kind of you know they're 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 wild and they're fascinating and they're dangerous and beautiful but like those things are mean and she was the first time i think she's really one of the first times that you've ever seen a mean fairy except for labyrinth um Mm -hmm. where you actually see like a, a mean fairy on screen and oh she's just she's wonderful but actually i also noticed that the ghost of christmas past is a fairy as well he has pointy ears and I never noticed it until the HD um, that he's got these incredible, like really dramatic, like Lord of the Rings kind of like elven ears. Right. So when you watch it again, notice it next time because, and they're very obvious, but with the way that his hair um, falls on his head, I think, you know, when you watch it with a, like less of a high definition, it looks really fuzzy. So you couldn't really tell, but man, so they're, all of them are fairies. Like, and I think that's so cool wow. that, they, that they made the, the, all the ghosts or they're not actually ghosts. They're, they're fae. They're fey folk. So, yeah, I, I know. And so that was something that when I noticed that this time, I was like, wow, like I've been watching this movie for 30 years. And <laughs> I just saw something I never saw before. Like, wow. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even notice that. Like, and when I was rewatching the movie, kind of anticipating and preparing for this podcast, mm-hmm. I did not realize that the, it's at the very beginning of the film where Frank Cross leaves uh, his company building and he's out on the street and there's this jazz musician that's, you know, playing the sax. I did not know that that was Miles Davis. <gasps> did you wow. know that? No. Miles Davis has like a two second cameo in Scrooged and I'm like, holy crap. I mean, granted, when I first saw this film, I had no idea who Miles Davis was, but okay. yeah, now knowing who he is as an adult, I'm like, he was in this movie? Okay. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, look at that art. That's art. I mean, anything that you can watch this many times and you can see something different and it remains relevant, that is, that's really like, it's almost like magic because you just, there's so few things that have really withstood the test of time, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm, well, I'm going to have to watch that again and go see Mount <laughs> Davis. I, yeah, you, I mean, you'll, if you blink, you'll miss it, but okay. yeah, he's, he's in there. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. More oh, than that's really spots you have to rewind for. I mean, I I I, I want to go back back to just see the elven ears. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, really. It's so cool. Yeah. I man, like the I love David Johansson by the way in that movie. Like he oh. just <laughs> you left Claire for Harry yeah. the dog. Lumpy the dog. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he he was just perfect oh, in it. Um, yeah, I felt like I wanted to spend more time with the Ghost of Christmas Past. Oh gosh, I wish the whole movie was just about those two. Like, really, they yeah. should 
Like that would have been an amazing, you know, like a sequel would be just like the ghost of Christmas past and, and Christmas present going around and like terrorizing people, trying to help them like be better. I don't need to see that future one again though. Oh my goodness. That one. He wasn't really present that long. Thank goodness. The ghost right. of Christmas future. So yeah. like, you know, the ghost, ghost of Christmas future, just like historically in the Charles Dickens novel and different iterations of um, Scrooge was never very interesting, you know, cause he really didn't say anything. So yeah, he's just supposed to show up, be scary. And you know, that's it. That, that's it. Right. So, right. And I think he, was, he does he that. Was really scary in this one. Like, yeah really like they they amped him up and i it's, it's really cool i think I, I like how they did it but man i i had a little shock really watching it in hd with all those because man those monsters underneath are just like the people <laughs> in purgatory like oh yeah i had yeah i had little little issues with that one mm-hmm. um but i honestly i would argue that this is the best um adaptation of a christmas carol just how creatively they did it and the nuances that they added to the story to update it and even, you know, updating it in the eighties. And then to, you know, now like, yeah, I think, Oh, I think it's, I think it's really, it's just one of, not just one of the best Christmas movies, but I just think it's one of the best movies that's, that's come out of this country. Like just, just, you know, hands down. I love it. And like mm-hmm. seeing uh, John Glover as Bryce Cummings, like the douchebag <laughs> executive trying to get mm-hmm. Frank's job, you know, like uh-huh. the interactions between those two, like at the oh. dinner scene. And oh my God. I, I just, I just love it. I just love it. Like, oh and there's like one brief moment where um, Bryce approaches Frank right before he's about to get on the elevator. It's actually where he thought he saw the ghost of Christmas future, but it was an actor uh-huh. right before they get on the elevator. And then Bryce says, so Frank, you got any tips for me? And <laughs> Bill Murray gives this look that is just priceless. I just love it. Cause it's just like this look of contempt. Like mm-hmm. do, do not talk to me right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the scenes between those two are just magic. I love it. Oh, it's so good. And Robert Mitchum's character with the mm. cat, the cat programming. Right. Oh my goodness! Yeah. It's We're like program. Well, do programming for cats because they yeah. want. And like, oh, you know how Kojak had to dangle the thingy. Well, what if he dangled a, a a thing of string? And holy wow! Just and it's funny because we have the internet, and you know some people just say that the internet exists for cat videos, right? Mm. So I just had such a giggle when I was watching that, and this guy's talking about cat programming 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. You know, I mean, again, it's like there's so many things in this movie that were kind of prophetic um, when it comes to, you know, American media, when it comes to, you know, like we were talking about earlier, class and race relations, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, executive privilege, like all those different kinds of things. And, oh. Uh, Man, I could really, I could, I, I can't say enough good things about this movie, honestly. And I was really expecting that I was going to have a lot of problems with it. And so it really surprised me when I was watching it and I was like, holy, wait a second. Like we could, this could come out now and it makes sense. Like, I mean, the only person, I'm just trying to think who else, I think the only person who could pull it, if they did a remake of this, I think the only person who could pull it off would be Jim Carrey. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, um, or Bill Murray, if Bill Murray decided to come back. And do it again, like just as much older man. Um, that would, oh my gosh, wouldn't that would be something too? Oh, I just love Bill Murray. I do too. That's an interesting yeah. line right there. Let's. What if we? What if we discuss that about you know what? Who would play 
um, the ghost and the girlfriend and, you know, everyone, if they brought it back, you know, now Grace, who would be Grace? Who would be a good Grace? Tiffany Haddish. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> Tiffany. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, you and you know, oh, and you know how that would work so well because she would not take any of his nonsense exactly like, it would start from a different place with a with you know with a, with an executive assistant who has more agency right, right. um oh my gosh Tiff, she would be so good she would oh. but she would also force him i mean i think that would force him to amp up his you know his attitude and his meanness so i think it would actually make right. bill murray's character uh frank worse yeah <laughs> he would have to and there would have to, well, of course, we'd have to have like a lot more representation. So, because that's the thing. Yeah. That there's, yeah. it's just basically. Yeah, because like, that boardroom, it was all white people. Yeah. There was and, one, there was one Grace. black guy and they had him like as a. Oh, player. yeah. The one black yeah. dude that laughed and, out of turn. I know. And he was like such a sycophant. <laughs> and it's like, no, we don't need, we don't need that. Right. We don't need that kind of portrayal. Like, so it would have to definitely be like. A different kind of board. I almost feel like Elliot Loudermilk's character might should be like a woman, maybe. Um, I feel yeah. like if yeah, like I feel like if there was a remake, there would have to. Be, I would just want more more women and more diversity. So McCarthy maybe for that role. Dude, yeah, but, oh my gosh, what if she played a strong women thing though? I mean, would you think she they, they play into that? The you know she. she oh of, no, you're right. You don't think so? Mm, yeah, because play into what? The whole you know um, she's getting emotional because she didn't get her way the hysterical woman yeah. type of trope you think would they, they'd have to revamp i think um yeah. elliot a little bit to kind of um get away from that but but i mean it was yeah. justified like elliot was fired from his job his mm -hmm. wife left him mm -hmm. you know took the kids so i think there's some justification in that anger and if your mind directly goes to a trope and a stereotype then maybe that's how you secretly feel about women like i i, I think it's justified yeah. for her to flip out if you if yeah. you lost your job right before christmas yeah. um but i mean i'm i'm fine with her or i'm fine with scrooge being a woman being played by a woman that would be something that'd be interesting to i think it would and it's, and especially if if oh my gosh tiffany haddish should be scrooge <laughs> <laughs> no really think about it like because she's already got that kind of like you know, in her, in her stand-up and stuff, she's already got that kind of caustic side to her where she, she really, she just, she's, she's not nice to people sometimes. <laughs> like, and she's quite like, okay with not being nice to people in certain situations. And when she snaps, she snaps, you know? Um, I'm just like thinking of that story about like the, the kid on the playground, Kyosha, who wouldn't let her play tetherball. Oh, and yes, like yes. on the day that she had her, she had like a, a psychotic break and <laughs> turned into a whole thing. And I'm just imagining like she would, I think she would be fantastic. Well, she needs to be in more things. So like, yeah, most I, I, yeah. I was just having this conversation about Tiffany Haddish. Like I know she's riding this comedy wave, but I really want to see her in like more fully fleshed out roles where we get a bit of a dramatic arc with her character. Cause we got a little tiny yeah. bit of that in people, but mm -hmm. I want to see, I want to see more of that. And I think if she were to play Scrooge today or, you know, Frank Cross's character, mm -hmm. we would be able to see that character arc happen with her where she can go from being really funny doing a little bit of slapstick to actually having a very dramatic poignant kind of uh performance yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly well this is this is a little off side but i mean she is going to be in this dramatic um movie called the kitchen coming up with melissa mccarthy um next year and it's it's not a comedy at all 
Oh, um, yes. That's awesome because I feel like oh, I can say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany and, and Melissa are kind of on that same wave. Like when Melissa mm -hmm. first started out, she was just mm -hmm. doing the slapstick comedy stuff and, you know, kind of making fun of her weight and stuff with the different projects here and there. But now she's moving to the more dramatic stuff with Can yeah. You Ever Forgive Me, which she may right. be nominated for an Oscar or a Golden Globe. But, um, but yeah, I, I hope that they kind of both do that same thing where they're you know, kind of deviating a little bit from just doing the comedy stuff because that's the worst thing is to get sort of like typecast and just be put into a box. So that's exactly. good to know about the, the kitchen. Yeah. Totally. Oh gosh, I can't wait for that because I really, two, they're two of my favorite actresses and oh, and having them together in a movie, gosh, that's, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's exciting. Yeah, that's, when does that come out? Um, it comes out sometime next year, I think, um, kind of early. Yeah. So um, when I get more information, I'll share it. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so so we can make this actually an all-female cast, um, or mostly predominantly female cast, I think, and still come out with um, some of the same things, and still the same commentary. Maybe we can change TV mm -hmm. to the internet, you know. Right. Maybe, maybe you're running, like, um, you know, some uh, social media platform or, or something, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. They're running a Facebook like, <laughs> yeah, like mm -hmm. get, you know, that's about to get into a lot of trouble. So they need to do something really intense. And that's when you have that, you know, that shot shots in the beginning of that, you know, that commercial that gives people heart attacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And I had forgotten about how that commercial that Frank airs, how um, a woman dies. She has a heart attack after she sees yes. it. Right. And, I, and he was yeah. like, oh, you can't buy publicity this good. <laughs> and I thought Frank Cross is a man for 2018. Like, yes. he's a man for today. Like, yesterday and today. Because, dude, so many of these companies now, they really, they pull stunts like this just to get, just to get the reaction and just to get the outrage. And it's just, it's creepy and it's manipulative and it's awful. And yet they still, it's still profitable 30 years later. That kind of, like, that kind of behavior is still profitable. And so it really, to me, it says a lot about mm -hmm. capitalism and how these capitalist structures work and how they're embedded, you know, in our society now. And right. yeah. And doesn't he have this whole attitude where he's like, okay, yeah, we'll get in trouble. They'll slap us on the hand, but then, you know, okay, whatever, but this is great. You know, exactly. type of thing. Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> yeah. Like he gives this really fake apology and mm -hmm. absolutely does not mean a single word of it. He's just kind of grinning. He's got this little grin in his eye as he's saying it. And he's just giving the lip service of like, oh yes, of course we're shocked and horrified. But he's like, his eyes are twinkling and you're like, oh my gosh, you're, dude. But he's not, but I don't think he's a sociopath though. Like that's what's so interesting about Frank. I've really been thinking mm -hmm. about his character a lot. I don't think he's a sociopath. I think that mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's really scarred from childhood trauma and yep. money has insulated him from ever being harmed like that again. And he's so like mm -hmm. a little boy on the inside. And so everything that he's doing is out of self-protection. It's not to harm other people. I don't think he's purposely trying to harm other people. He's just trying to protect himself. And he does end up hurting people as he's making really bad choices, but he's making those choices because he's so scared. Like he's just, he wants to be loved, but he doesn't, he doesn't know how to accept it. He doesn't think that he's worthy of it. And so instead he builds a wall around himself. And, um, and so it's, and I really think, again, it's Bill Murray's performance that takes this, if someone else had played this character, like, let's say it was like Jack Nicholson or 
someone like that, I would think they were a sociopath because there's just something about those actors that kind of, they bring a kind of menacing quality into every role that they are, even when they're funny and gentle or doing a comedy, it's like, there's still something about, you know, certain actors in a role that would, that would be this nuance that just wouldn't be able to pull off the depth of it, you know? Um, And so, and it's, and it's weird because like all of Frank's behavior, it, in any other case, I would consider him a sociopath. I mean, he's, I wouldn't, I almost wouldn't even, I wouldn't even classify him necessarily even as a narcissist because mm. he's, that's not his personality. He wasn't born like that. Yeah. You know, he, he is who he is because he was kind of broken as a kid and he never got those pieces fixed. So, yeah. and you know, Bill Murray's performance is so, it's so beautiful. You know, you really just, you can see it all in his face and in his eyes and, there's something so moving about, I have to say, like men in particular who are able to kind of go to those depths in a role. And especially when it's like supposed to be funny, but it's so much more than just funny. And it, I, I just yeah. dawned on me about his relationship with his brother because, you know, his brother loves him and, you know, gives him this really beautiful present in their childhood of them together as kids. But you don't really see him having much of a relate you don't see frank reaching out to his brother and i wonder if that is because his brother embodies something that frank doesn't have you know his brother has a wife you know they have mutual friends and it just seems like you know his brother has love in his life and and frank he's completely void of that and maybe the reason why he doesn't have that relationship or refuses to initiate any kind of relationship with his brothers because he doesn't want to see what he doesn't have. And he feels, you know, maybe some shame around that. So that's, that's something that just dawned on me as we're talking about his character development. I mean, these writers, they knew what they were doing. They they just did a really good job with this. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's such a good point. I really didn't think about that because I see the brother as being somehow more forgiving and but also his brother seems more sensitive and emotional so i feel like his brother would be more in touch with the pain from the past and obviously like you said has the the partner and the friends to also give him that support whereas like frank just took the other road you know the other road where like i don't need anybody i just need money and if i have the most money i can have like that's all that i need and you know i got a million friends in the bank like that kind of attitude you know Right. Uh, but I really, I didn't think about that about his brother. When I watch it again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep that in mind. I love the brother though. He's so sweet. Oh my god. Yeah, like, and that's like his brother in real life. I love the fact that it was like a family affair because Brian Doyle Murray, who's Bill Murray's, I think that's Bill Murray's older brother. He plays his father in the movie, and then I don't know what his brother's name is in real life, but um, he plays his brother, and they they look just alike so um yeah yeah so it was a bit of a family affair which was really wow that's so cool john murray john John murray Murray. so that's his i think that's his yeah his younger brother and brian doyle murray which i've always for years assumed was his father in real life (laughs) his older brother (laughs) because of scrooge (laughs) yeah wow right so so yeah and i okay yeah I have to give, I mean, I, I want to say here that this story kind of really um, takes a lot from, um, it, it goes, uh, strays a lot from the, the source text, but I think it does lean in on the, um, the idea that Dickens um, had when he wrote this story. And I think that that is what humanizes 
uh, frank for us um, a lot of the the time. So um, I, I really I really think that you know um, the writers did a great job, but I think the source material we got to give a shout out to Dickens. <laughs> oh, totally. Um, yeah, the story is great kind of story. No, definitely, definitely, and yeah. actually, and. To be honest, I think I'm just trying to think like when was the when was the last remake of that like modern remake of that besides Scrooge? Oh gosh, has I, there the Muppets? I think maybe. Um, no, because uh, Ducktales did it um, after the Muppets. Um, okay. <laughs> the oh, cartoon, yeah. oh, they had Ducktales. That was a good one. And oh, you have the Mickey one, and then okay. yeah, yeah. So, um, so you. yeah, you have. Let's see. Um, let me do some typing and see what <laughs> we'll have to do that one yeah okay there has been so many renditions like so i'm even cool. seeing a, a 2009 one with jim carrey oh i forgot about that one oh, um like i missed 2009 the last iteration it was an animated one a christmas oh, carol okay. oh that's why okay that's why i didn't see it okay yeah robert zemeckis um director and writer um yeah jim carrey gary oldman colin firth oh wow um and it was it's animated yeah okay. there needs to be a new updated one i i like this idea of us doing some dream fan casting of <laughs> some of the characters in the new version because you know this is a this is a story that will never die like it just it, yeah. you can always right. do remakes you could do sequels probably um, but it's a story that's always uh, going to stand the test of time. Yeah, I mean, I'd love, I'd honestly, I'd love to see a sequel, like kind of like with the new Halloween, um, like in real time, you know, 35 years later or whatever, and and um, to see where Frank is and, and how, you know, how did that epiphany go for him? Was it, was it kind of a upward swing the whole time or did he kind of, did he have relapses or is he still with Claire? Um, do they have kids? You know what I'm like. Right. So just, or maybe it's the kid. The kid's going through it this time. Maybe. Maybe yeah. Uh, or so, yeah. yeah something like yeah, that. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. yeah. Or the next generation. Or maybe. Um, or maybe it's the nephew. You know, maybe his brother and the and the, yeah. the partner had a kid and like mm -hmm. and you know because those parents are really into Christmas so like maybe yeah. the kid mm -hmm. is like rebelling against them about Christmas. I don't. Oh my gosh. There's so many. I'm curious really to know too if like Frank Loudermilk, um, um, or I'm sorry, Elliot, Elliot, Elliot Loudermilk. Yeah. I'm I'm curious to know if he becomes more like Frank Cross because remember he got promoted to being his you know number one guy and with promotion sometimes that greed kind of filters back in there. So I'm curious to know if his character yeah. has you know shifted to being a little bit more Scrooge like. Right. But also, wouldn't he be in jail? <laughs> like, he oh, for the guns! He held people hostage. Yeah. He shot the place up. Like, he, I think <laughs> he was America. He'd be out on parole by now. Oh, that's right. He's white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to think about that. Yeah. Um, so he would, but so if he if something happened to him, he'd be he'd be out on parole for a long time. Like for probably for years, he'd be out on parole. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh man, yeah. But it's fun to think about it though, because especially seeing how how wonderful um, the new Halloween was and how just, ah, oh, how kind of marvelous it was to just revisit the same place 40 years later and, mm. you know, and how well they did it and just filling in all the gaps of those 40 years and seeing where people ended up and how, 
how honest it was, you know, and right. I really, really just something, it felt like, it almost felt like closure in a weird way, you know, like a lot of closure yeah. for a lot of different things. Um, and I mm -hmm. feel like a sequel to Scrooge would definitely, would definitely kind of serve that same function, you know, um, mm -hmm. and and of course, like, you know, Bill Murray could also be in everything as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. just like another person who I'm just like, put just Did they redo Scrooge. He has to be as long as he is alive and breathing on this planet. Yeah. He has to be in the movie. It, it would be. It. Yeah, it, oh, it would be an insult to me. Um, yeah. I'm still feeling some type of way about Julie Andrews not being in Mary Poppy's Returns. So uh, <laughs> I would wait, like to see. Wait, wait, wait. She's not. She is in no. it. Mary, no, Julie Andrews is not in Mary Poppins Returns. Does, isn't she the narrator or something? I thought that her voice is in it. Nope. No? <gasps> no. Well, that's a mistake. Yeah. Dick Van Dyke is in it. He makes a cameo. But, um, but no, no Julie Andrews. What? How could I they? Know. Exactly. Exactly. So do not make this mistake. Whoever is going to decide to green light this. Do not make that mistake and not cast Bill Murray because, yeah, he deserves oh, to be it, in it. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point. Then just don't make it. You know, don't right. make it. Don't make it a sequel. <laughs> if he's not going to be in it, don't make it a sequel. Just make it something else. You know. Right. right. Um, and there's so many. You know, there's so many ways that they could do it. And but yeah, but if he's not going to be involved, then it, it has to be. You know, has to have some other kind of association, like. Because, yeah, that would not be right. Oh, my gosh, I'm really disappointed to hear about, about Julie Andrews not in Mary Poppins because I was mm -hmm. kind of on the, on the fence about it. And I, I, you know, I wasn't really, I don't know. I just love the original so much that I just didn't really know what to expect. And then now, well, that's just. Well, didn't uh, they teach about her being on the red carpet and, you know, having her like, like she was going to be in it? Um, I, I've seen her with the cast. Um a few times thinking that you know oh yeah she's probably got a part or something that that was pretty underhanded yeah, <laughs> you know yeah yeah that's like yeah bait and switch right there um, yeah i need to look at the reason why but um mm -hmm. i mean there's articles online where you can read up on why she said she's not in it but okay I, yeah, yeah she's I, not I she's not in it so okay, but okay that's a bummer. But on a lighter note, I, I really enjoyed talking about Scrooge. Like, this movie, again, it stands the test of time. I watch it every Christmas season. I even watch it in between, you know, January 1st and December 25th because it's, I don't know, I never get sick of this movie. Like, yeah. I, it's the kind of movie that when it plays on television, I will stop what I'm doing and sit down and watch it. You know, there's only a few movies, there's only a handful of movies that do that for me, and Scrooge mm -hmm. is at the top of the list. Yeah, it's definitely, yep. it's definitely a classic for a reason, and especially for a Grinch like me, you know, to still even watch it at all <laughs> is, really says something, because I'm just not a fan yeah, of, all the <laughs> I'm, not a fan of, I'm just not a fan of this holiday anymore, so, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so anything that gets me to watch a Christmas movie, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Um, and there's really only a handful of Christmas movies I still watch. So, and most of them are really problematic. Like Love Actually, oh, I don't, that one gets don't more problematic. That don't, one gets- Don't even start trying. Okay. Oh, don't We're, even? Okay. Don't well, even, don't even. Like, every year gets- <laughs> we'll, we'll have another podcast. More difficult for me to watch that one. Oh, you're not gonna like my editorial. Man, <laughs> oh, that's my movie right there. That's my movie. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I love the Christmas Sorry. holiday. I love the Christmas <laughs> holiday and what it stands for, but there's not really a whole lot yeah. of Christmas films that I'm a big fan of. And okay. it's weird. Right. The ones that I do like are like kind of negative because next to Scrooge, my favorite Christmas film to watch is The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. <laughs> the very the short what 15 20 minute animated yeah. boris karloff version. oh i love it um I love it. and i saw the grinch the the new one with benedict cumberbatch and it's it's a delight it's it's really fun okay. to watch so um but yeah i'm i'm not really keen on a whole bunch of christmas movies cause yeah, I don't I know. See, my, my other favorite christmas movie is uh gremlins so um yes. you know what my where my tastes lie when it <laughs> when mm-hmm. it comes to this stuff um <laughs> which like man that's scary too i i every year i forget how scary it was and i always get nightmares so like the ghost of christmas future gives me a night one nightmare a year and the gremlins mm-hmm. give me another nightmare because somehow i always forget that these movies they really scare me but i love them <laughs> yes but they're so great <laughs> they're so great oh so um, good and it's really bad because my my um, kids like to watch Gremlins um, for Christmas. Okay. Um, that, that's part of the Christmas movie rotation yeah. um, for my, my older kids and, you know, um, the teenagers. Um, so it's like, okay, you got to turn that off when the toddlers come through. I know it's Christmas and Christmas movie, but this is not Christmas movie. <laughs> this is no. something different, you know, something a little bit more. Yeah. And I saw, um, that, in the, I saw that in the theater when it first came out. And I was way too young. Um, I must have been five. And we, you know, we thought we were going to see a Christmas movie. And yeah, you see Gizmo, and he's so cute. Yeah, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's not so cute anymore. Actually, <laughs> but the rest of them, oh my. Um, but I remember hiding under the seats in the theater because when the Gremlins all came out. And my mom, um, she complained to the manager about it she was like how could you how could you do how could you have this poster it looks like a children's movie it's not a children's movie and they were like ma'am we didn't we didn't design the poster we're not in control of this like <laughs> my mom was like screaming at them like posters yeah oh yeah those posters um, were like cute and they so had cute. gizmo on them and they were like christmasy and it's like yeah. oh yeah this is a good movie. Mm-hmm. yeah it's so nice you know what? In the '80s, they did that anti-Christmas movie type of thing. There were there were a lot of horror movies that were set in um, <laughs> around the Christmas season. Um, uh, yeah, actually, and you're right. I guess yeah. I'm you know I'm doing the list about um, some Christmas horror movies, and actually there there was a boom of Christmas horror, and in particular Christmas slashers. And I think it was mm-hmm. just because like that was the height of the slasher kind of you know the the slasher genre kind of exploded in the mid eighties. And so they were just basically, you know, there's Valentine's day slashers, there's Christmas slashers, there's St. Patrick's day slashers. So there's Mm -hmm. slashers for all the different holidays basically. And so kind of in the mid to late eighties, that was when there were so many Christmas um, horror movies that were made. And some of them are okay. Um, Most of them are just, you know, just kind of, it's, the story could take place in any time of year. And they just plopped mm-hmm. it into Christmas. You know, it doesn't have the good writing that Scrooge um, has or Gremlins has. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but it's interesting to look at when you look at trends of horror movies, like, especially, you know, because I just watched that um, Eli Roth history of horror and the way that they break it down by kind of by, by decade in certain aspects is really fascinating. And, and so, yeah, so that's why there's so many Christmas horror movies. It's because slashers were really popular that decade. And so they, okay. so they just wanted to capitalize on it as much as they could, which they did. So is that interesting? Like, yeah, oh, man. Very interesting. I love horror. I love horror. Like, yeah, it's my, it's my favorite. It's your thing. It's, it's your thing. Yeah, it, it is. is. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, I got to oh. run, ladies. Um, okay. So. But this was so much fun, though. Yeah, this was great. I, I really enjoyed talking about this. And we should do some other podcasts about different come back again if you want to come at me about Love Actually. We can do that. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Just don't read my don't read my essay about it then, okay? Because you, you won't like it. You And I, I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing that no one else has mentioned before, but I wonder if anyone's oh, yeah. mentioned all of it in like one place. So, which I, <laughs> but I do have some nice things to say about it. And I think there's some really cool things about consent culture in love actually that are really important. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, it's not, I don't, don't only have criticisms about it. I, there are some really lovely mm -hmm. aspects of that movie, but I think, yeah, that most of it is for me um, <laughs> troubling, just uh, troubling. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> It's not the first time we've come at it over a movie. Uh, Jurassic yeah. Park, remember? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm sorry about that, too. Oh, for another time, another time. No, definitely, definitely for another time. But, you know, hey, I don't think less of you as a person because you like it. Like, people, we like what we like. And, you know, some people do think less of you. You're like, oh, I don't like that. And then they're like, ew, like, we can't be friends. Like, all right. Now, be over here watching Love Actually while you're non friending me. Cool. Um, so. All right. Well, oh, thanks like, for. It looks like Jamie already this. popped out. Oh, bye. You already did. Yeah, I think okay, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She really had to go. Yeah. Okay. Um. Thanks for doing this, and um. We, oh, we will Yeah. Come at it again. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, this was, this was really fun. You wouldn't like love actually. It, it's like all the things, but I'm a sucker for a good dramedy. Um. Yeah. So. I, and you know, and it's like. And it's one of those movies for me where like, it's just manipulating you. So obviously sometimes, and I, at first it was something that I liked a lot. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why it rubs me. It's just started really rubbing me the wrong way. But I have to, but again, I haven't watched it since last year. So I have to, mm -hmm. before I write my, um, my little piece about the 15 year anniversary, I, um, I'm gonna watch it again and you know, just kind of like refresh on it. Sam.